0: Shalom, everyone. Uh, Bow with me, Heavenly Father Yahweh. We thank you so much for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the warmer weather, and uh, we thank you for the sunshine, the fellowship, the music, and even the food coming up, Father. And a special prayer for those who are recovering from surgeries, uh, Elder Allen and uh, my mother, and uh, who's getting ready to go into surgery. Father, we pray that you be with her, and uh, all those who are sick and uh, need your comfort and healing, Father. And uh pray that you be with me as I speak your word, Father, that, they, that the words that I speak be yours and that they edify the body and that uh, you're glorified in them. And uh, we thank you for all that you do for us in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I decided to give this message in response to somebody that I blocked on Facebook. <laughs> uh, probably not the best way to communicate the point to them, but... Um, it started. Hey Levi, turn me down. Just, to, just touch. A little hot. <laughs> Ringing around here. Anyway, so I was communicating with a guy on Facebook, and he started out asking some really solid questions, like good questions that I'm used to answering. Like, it's not a problem. But as it went on, his questions got more and more pointed, and more and more biased, and less less seeking truth and more, I want to make a point. And so as it went on and it went on, I just I, it got to the point to where he was, it was outright nasty, the things that he was saying about the ministry and our faith. And so I, that's at the point I blocked him, tipped my hat and said, adios. But it stuck with me for a little bit. And I was trying, I was already actually working on this message. But that really kicked me in the pants to like want to finish it and really get it out there. Because as somebody that talks to a lot of people day to day, every day, um, about our faith, trying to justify what it is we believe and why we believe what we believe, and trying to convince other people that maybe they've been thinking about some things wrong, I felt like it was appropriate to really put this message forward. Um, the name of the message is, Did Messiah Destroy the Law? But it's also going to be examining the... the um, the differences between justification and sanctification. These are two key things that we need to understand in our own faith, in an, in an attempt to defend our faith, and also in an attempt to convince other people of our faith. You know, when we as a body witness the truth to people, we're often told that because we do things like observe the Sabbath, like we do today, or eat clean, we don't eat ham sandwiches. You know, we're told that we're trying to earn our salvation through obedience. That the act of obedience is, in fact, in direct opposition to the finished work that the Messiah, Yeshua, came and died to accomplish. And through our obedience, we are, in fact, denying his sacrifice. These are things I'm told very regularly by people of strong faith on different sides of the aisle. The world around us truly believes, and I, and I say the world around us, I mean those of faith around us. I don't mean the unbeliever. This message is less about them and more about the people that are almost there, the people that are halfway there, that are in the Bible, but they're not really in it. You know what I mean? That they, they know just enough to be dangerous. The world around us truly believes that by obeying Yahweh's law, we are playing right into Satan's hands. They believe that we are truly trying to justify ourselves through obedience. While we do believe in works at this ministry, absolutely, we believe that works are extremely important, and obedience to the law is very, very important, we obviously do not believe that we are justified by any of those things. No amount of works of righteousness, no amount of volunteering anywhere, no amount of doing good, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, none of that is going to be enough to justify us for the kingdom. We are not justified by our actions, period. No amount of it could be good enough to remove the wickedness in our life. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, as it states over in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 through 7. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. There is... And there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. So there's no amount of obedience that can bring us back up to the level that we need to attain salvation. It's good to try. I mean, that's why it's there. But the point is, is that no amount of it No matter how hard you try, you are are human, you are flawed, and you are going to fall short. And it sounds hopeless when you first think about it. It sounds hopeless, but it's not, I promise. So what do we do? Should we simply not obey the commandments that are given? Is it futile to even attempt to follow and live out the word? Over in Romans chapter 3, verses 26 through 31. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Yeshua. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the Elohim of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one Elohim which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Elohim forbid we establish the law. I like to tell people, you can, make, you can make, especially Paul, you can make him say whatever you want. And they do. It's extremely common. So while it's not by the law that we are saved, it is the method by which we are set apart from the world. The Jews, the Gentiles alike, are one through baptism. That tears down the wall between Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Messiah in that way. We are one in Yeshua through faith. And we are one with Yahweh through obedience. And I'll explain that a little bit more. The Jews are Yahweh's chosen people. He's made that abundantly clear all throughout Scripture. And he made them a promise long ago through Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise. And Yahweh explains in Genesis 26, verses 3 through 5. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, Yahweh speaking to Isaac at this point. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Why did Yahweh choose Abraham? He tells you right there. Because he obeyed my voice, he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. It was because of Abraham's obedience that he was given the promise to begin with. That's why he was chosen for that. So if the promise of Abraham was given based on his obedience to the Father and his laws, would it not stand to reason that we, including the Gentiles, you know, I'm not, I'm not that into genealogy. There could be some blood Jews among us. I'm sure there probably is somewhere. But ultimately, thank you, Messiah and Yahshua, it doesn't matter anymore. The Gentiles are grafted into that same promise. It will be because we are not only justified by our faith in Messiah. That's key number one. But it would stand to reason that we would be sanctified by our obedience as well. Remember, it was a, the promise was a direct result of Abraham's obedience. He was a righteous man who followed Yahweh. And it's also good to remember, this is key, this is, I don't want to say this is the most important thing out of my message, but this is a very important point that I want to make right now. The Gentiles were never offered their own covenant. I hear it all the time from people, well, the Gentiles are not required to do this. The Gentiles don't need to keep the Sabbath. The Gentiles don't need this. The Gentiles don't need that. The Gentiles were never given their own covenant. They have only ever been offered the option to be grafted in to the promise of Abraham, to Israel. This is crucial to understand. So we understand that the promise was established through obedience to Yahweh's commands. But what about the argument that Messiah died to remove that law? And that is why the Gentiles are able to come in. Obviously, there's a few issues with this. For example, Yahshua himself was obedient Perfectly so. He followed Yahweh's commands and laws perfectly. But what he did fight was man-made laws that mankind elevated to the same level as Yahweh's commands. Over in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 2 through 9. And the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Yahshua saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he, Messiah, said to him, Why do you also transgress the commandment of Elohim because of your tradition? For Elohim commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he said, He who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whosoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to Elohim. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of Elohim of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That was um, what they call a mic drop moment in Yahshua's time. (laughs) It was a mic drop moment. You had these people railing on the Messiah because his disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate, and they were making a big deal out of it, like he had broken one of the Ten Commandments, when in fact, it was tradition of the Pharisees at the time, tradition of of not just them, but the people in general at the time, that if they didn't wash their hands, that was equal to breaking the commandments, and it's ridiculous. Now, these traditions, not just that one, have always been around. Things like that have always been around to that effect. And these traditions are going to continue to be around until Messiah returns to put an end to all of it once and for all. But in the meantime, we as followers of the Messiah have to fight these traditions like he did when he walked the earth. The idea that Yahshua, who lived and suffered and died and walked perfectly in obedience to Yahweh's commands, Made them of no effect through his obedience is silly. Where exactly do we see that the law no longer applies when it is obeyed? That's what they, that's the common acceptance, is the accepted doctrine is that he obeyed it, now we don't have to. Where do you find that? Messiah was and is the standard by which we try to measure up to. And sadly, it's a mark that we fall terribly short of. Thankfully, not only did he walk perfectly, he also doubled as our sacrifice. He lived perfectly, and he died perfectly. His perfect sacrifice granted us a measure of mercy and grace that was—it uh, was unattainable prior. There was there was no. There was nothing like it, and there has never been anything like it, and there will never be anything like it. So why did the Messiah have to die if it wasn't to release us from the law? If we have to continue to be obedient, what was the point? Why did he have to die? It's simple, to justify us. Randy, I, it was years ago, I remember Elder Randy gave a message on justification and sanctification and how easily muddied those waters get. And to, in order to understand what it is to be justified, I think a good, a good practice is to look up the word. So justify, it's a verb. To show or prove to be right or reasonable. The person appointed has fully justified our confidence. Synonyms are to give grounds for, to give reasons for, to give a justification for, to be a good reason for. The situation was grave enough to justify further investigation, to warrant, to be a good reason for, to be a justification for, to bear out, to confirm, to validate, to declare or make righteous in the sight of Elohim, one of the elect justified by faith. Now this is a... This is a Hopeful definition, in my opinion. Through Yahshua, he gives grounds for our salvation. He gives reasons for our forgiveness. He gives a justification. He's a good reason for us to be accepted in the eyes of Yahweh. He justifies us in that he validates, gives grounds for our efforts. They're not perfect efforts. But, as it says here... The situation was grave enough to justify further investigation. His sacrifice was good enough to justify forgiveness. He validates our efforts. He doesn't replace our efforts. That's that's not what he did. He validates our efforts. Our feeble, failing efforts, he validates them in the eyes of the Father. He stands before Yahweh and testifies... The person appointed has fully justified our confidence. Without Yeshua's sacrifice, we'd never, ever be able to reach the level we need to return to the Father. And that's the ultimate goal, is to return to the Father. I mean, he's coming here, but that's the ultimate goal, is to be together, be reunited with him. The idea that the Messiah lived perfectly only to destroy the very measure by which perfection is decided is asinine. We could never hope to justify ourselves through obedience to law, so why keep it then? Why bother at all? If it's an impossibility to keep it perfect like Messiah, why bother? Again, the answer is simple. Sanctification. And again, just like justification, look up the word. To sanctify, to set a, set apart, to declare holy, to consecrate. A small shrine was built to sanctify the site, much like the, the, the altars were built when the Israelites wandered around. To consecrate, to make holy, to make sacred, bless, hallow, set apart, dedicate to Elohim, anoint, ordain, canonize, beatify, uh, beatify the legitimate or binding by religious sanction, They see their love sanctified by the sacrament of marriage. To approve, sanction, give the stamp of approval to. Underwrite, condone, justify, vindicate, endorse, support. On and on and on. To free from sin, purify. May Elohim sanctify his soul. Purify, cleanse, to free from sin, absolve, unburden, redeem, to wash away sins, to lustrate. When we obey the law and commandments, we are not trying to justify ourselves, even though it's part of the definition. Typically, but in this situation, no. We're not trying to justify ourselves. We are simply striving to be set apart as we are commanded in Scripture. The Gentiles... We're not, and look, I say Gentiles very loosely. Anybody who is not following in Yahweh's word, I would say they fall under this particular umbrella that I'm casting right now. Gentiles were not and are not set apart. Period. Without the Messiah's sacrifice. There is no option to remain a Gentile in our faith. We have to be grafted into that promise. Without that, there is nothing for us. There's nothing for us. There's nothing for anyone that is not grafted into that promise. And Scripture proves this out. In John 15, verses 4 through 8. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. To share in Israel's promise, we, this is the narrow way that Yahweh talked about in Scripture. This is the option. Obviously, Yahweh is, he's Yahweh. He can do whatever he wants. He can save whoever he wants, and he has done that in the past. But we can't live our life hoping to be the exception We can't do it. We have to attach ourselves to the Messiah. And if we are not, we have no place in that coming kingdom. The theme of be separate is an extremely common theme throughout the scriptures. Even in the New Testament. Yahweh doesn't want a group of people who are still bogged down in their old ways I mean, he sent the Messiah to pull us out of those ways. Go go read through Galatians. Those poor people were wrapped up in everything that you can think of. Every single letter Paul sent to these people, these were, not, these were not established assemblies that were just thriving and doing super, super well. Paul wrote and visited them because they were floundering. They were struggling. They were falling back into these ways that they were pulled out of because they were Gentiles. These weren't there might have been Jews there, but these were not Jewish converts. These were Gentile converts that were falling back into Gentile ways. A lot of times we use the term heathen, 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 heathen. You know, we use it a lot for different things, defining different things. And Gentile is kind of like the New Testament version of that. There's, there's Yahweh's people and there's Gentiles. In Messiah, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, Slave, nor free. It's a very, it's, when Yahshua came, he defi- he made the lines definitive. He cleared the fuzziness. He sharpened everything up to where it's black and white. It's very simple. So the theme of be separate is extremely common through scripture. Over in Second Corinthians, Corinth is another one. They weren't uh, doing so hot either. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Messiah with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of Elohim with idols? For you are the temple of the living Elohim. As Elohim has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters says Yahweh almighty we don't we don't follow the commandments we don't and when i say the law i mean like torah the instructions i don't mean just the 10 commandments there's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that we don't follow these because we think this is our ticket to the kingdom it's the state of being that obedience puts us in that we strive for to be set apart to be sanctified exactly as Yahweh commanded. It says back here on this, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? How can we claim we are righteous if we constantly fellowship with lawlessness? How can you do it? How can we claim to be a believer if we are living our life walking in darkness? And I don't mean walking in darkness like when you're out witnessing the truth. You have to do that. You have to be in the world but not of it. You know, and you, the whole point is to throw as many little floaties out to the world to pull them onto your lifeboat as you can get. That's everything. When I say walking in darkness, I mean walking in darkness like we are knowingly putting ourselves in situations that cause our own light to fade. And what agreement has the temple of Elohim with idols? For you are the temple of the living Elohim. We are the temple. If we want Yahweh to dwell in us, as promised, we have to have a clean temple. That is why we follow the commandments. Not because we ignore the sacrifice of Messiah. In fact, it's the opposite, because the sacrifice of Yahshua, the veil, was torn that, in that physical temple. Now, we are that temple, and if we want Yahweh's spirit to dwell in us, we have to do some house cleaning. And we have to make our temple ready for Yahweh's presence. Think about it. Yahweh had an extremely strict set of protocols. When he, that he had Israel follow with the temple. Only certain people could be in the Holy of Holies. And even then, those people had to be clean. Very clean. Both physically and spiritually. Go read Leviticus 16 sometime. Being clean and sanctified was the difference between life and death. If light cannot dwell with darkness... How can we expect Yahweh to dwell within us if our light is exchanged for darkness? He cannot look upon sin. So how can he be in a sinful vessel and dwell with us if we're, if we're struggling, we're floundering, and we're going to struggle? Over in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Thou art a purer eyes than to behold evil, and thou cannot look upon iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and hold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Yahweh cannot be. You know the old westerns. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. That's that's how it is. Our 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 bodies, our temples, are not big enough for sin and Yahweh to dwell there together. He cannot be in our temple if we fill it fill it with darkness. Walking in his commands and statutes like Abraham did fills our temple with light rather than darkness. This is the very reason why the apostles asked the Gentiles, then this is another key scripture that I need people to remember. When you're dealing with people who tell you, I don't need to do those things. The Gentiles were never commanded to do these things. Baloney. Over in Acts 15, the apostles told the Gentiles that were are converting from, to the truth. These are, again, Gentiles are not ex-Jews. These are not people familiar with Torah. These are people that are doing uh, everything but Torah. Acts 15, chapter, nine, or chapter 15, verses 19 through 20. "'It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not cause trouble for the Gentiles who are turning,' not returning, "'turning to Elohim.'" Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, does that sound like a bunch of Jews that are struggling with something? No. Jews don't do those things. These are people who have, they're essentially babies in this. They have no clue. Abstain from uh, meat strangled from animals and from blood. For Moses has been proclaimed in every city of ancient times and is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. These Gentiles were neck deep in all kinds of nasty stuff. They were not even able to attend synagogue. That's why they told them to abstain from these things. Because why? Because they were unclean. They had to be clean to take part. The same is applicable today. We're not going to know if you ate a ham sandwich before you came to service, but I'm sure Yahweh knows If we're wrapped up in lawlessness, how are we any different than the Gentiles addressed in Acts 15? This is a point often avoided in Christianity. How can we possibly take Yahweh and his word into our temple if they are unclean? How can we claim we're a new creature, born again, you know? How can we claim these things? How can they claim these things? If everything about our lawless walk remains the same as it was Prior to the Messiah. So obedience is less about justification and salvation and more about sanctification, being set apart, making yourself different in this world. If you want to be really looked at as like set apart, like, man, that person is weird. Follow Yahweh's word. (laughs) You'll you'll be looked at like you're like a pariah. Imagine you're a landlord and you have an absolutely awful tenant. They're messy, they're nasty, noisy and rude, always late with the rent because and they cause irreparable damage to the structure that they're dwelling in. That's who we are as people. The Holy Spirit is the perfect tenant. They show love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and they always pay their rent on time. However, there's only room for one in this apartment. And the perfect tenant, obviously, is not going to share a room with the other guy. So what do you do? Do you continue with the old tenant? Do you kick him out to make room for the good tenant? You'd be surprised how hard this decision can be. For whatever reason, the bad tenant has a place in our hearts. We can't explain it. He's crude, he's evil, he's hateful and filthy, but we like him. He's charming, and we're always going out of our way to let him back in. <laughs> and he never stops as assault on us. He never gets any better. He's the same nasty guy, banging everything up, causing trouble, never pays his rent on time. He, he never changes. He will never change. But we always manage to give him a key. And the good tenant has no choice but to vacate until the property is in order. Obedience to the law, to the Torah, to the guidelines that are given in Scripture, is about being a bright light in a dark world. Ryan and I talked about it. You know, more, As we go on as a ministry, we don't want to blend in with other ministries. We want to stand out. We don't want to blend in and disappear. We want, to, we want people to know that, wait a minute, that's different than what I see out here. That's different than the church down the road. That's different from what I heard on the internet. This is different, set apart, if you will. And as a ministry, that's one of the things we strive for. And we don't want to be different for being different's sake, not, not out of spite or just like Well, this person does this, so we're not going to do that. If it's true, we'll try to follow it as best we can. People assume the reasons we do things. They assume we're a self-righteous bunch trying to earn our salvation by towing the line for the letter of the law. When in actuality, we're towing the line for obedience because that's exactly what the Messiah did. The same Messiah they they, they recognize, that Messiah. It's not out of self-righteousness that we desire to look holier than now. It's just out of, we just want to please Yahweh. That's it. There's nothing else to it. That's it. And that's what it's all about. Messiah knew that. The apostles knew that. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments he who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of Elohim is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also just walk, walk as he walked. In our journey to, be, to sanctify our temples for Yahweh's spirit, we're acknowledging that Yahweh knows best. That he didn't make a blunder that needed correcting when he gave us his commandments and his laws. We acknowledge his authority and that his laws and statutes are for our own good. But that's okay. Give everybody a second to get over there. For this commandment which I give you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who's going to ascend up to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we can hear and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear and do it? But the word is very near. In your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. And that I command you today to love Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And Yahweh your Elohim will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other mighty ones and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan and to go possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love Yahweh your Elohim, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life in the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give them. You know, it says, it's funny, it says, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that we should say, who shall go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. We have no excuse. They didn't have it back then, and we certainly don't have it now. Yahweh laid it out for the Hebrews in Deuteronomy, and he's laid it out bare for us today. And like I said, we have even less of an excuse. Before, they were condemned by the very law they were commanded to follow us, they could never keep it perfectly. We, however, we literally had somebody who ascended to heaven, <laughs> who showed us exactly what we need to do, and we have no excuse, no reason not to try our very hardest to keep the commandments the best we can. Like it said in Deuteronomy, Yahweh, he gave it to them right there, so they didn't have an excuse. How much less of an excuse do we, as a people, have now? So can we keep the law and the commandments perfectly? No. That has never changed. But now we have an intercessor that sacrificed himself on our behalf to stay that condemnation. Should we simply repent and move on? Before, we had to sacrifice to cover our sin. Over and over and over. Many times a year. There was a guy, I don't remember who it was, gave a message at one of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he did a message on how many gallons of blood every year. Every single year were spilled for sin. And for offerings and different things like that. Thousands of gallons. Tens of thousands of gallons of blood. I mean, a lot. We don't have, You want to talk about a burden being lifted off our shoulders. That's huge. So before we had to sacrifice over and over and over again to cover our sin, and it was never intended to be a a permanent or perfect solution to the problem. It was the bare minimum needed to continue in the service of Yahweh. And I would say unless the Messiah came, those who came before us, I don't believe they would have made it either. I don't believe they would have made it. I believe the sacrifices that were in place at the time were enough to keep the service of Yahweh going until the Messiah came to take it away. Under that old system, we never would have made it to the kingdom. We're justified by Yahshua's sacrifice as it was something we could never attain on our own, but we're sanctified by our continued efforts and obedience to the word, the commandments, the statutes and laws of Yahweh. The commandments that were reiterated by our Messiah. And this brings me to my next point. This is something that I have heard again, just as many times as the rest of the things. Messiah's commandments are different than those old commandments. We, we follow Messiah's law. Love Yahweh with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We aren't tied down to that old law anymore. Context is key. So what does it mean to love Yahweh with all your heart, mind, and soul? How do you do that? How does somebody love Yahweh with all your heart, mind, and soul? Do you sit there and close your eyes really tight and just love really hard? No. You love Yahweh with all your heart, mind, and soul by following these four simple steps. We won't call them commandments. (laughs) Follow these four simple steps. Thou shalt not have any other mighty ones before me. Thou shalt not make to thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above that is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And ye shall take not the name of Yahweh the Elohim in vain, for Yahweh shall, will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, if you follow those four simple tips, it's a good way to love Yahweh. You can show him that you love him. You're not going to put anyone before him. You're not going to make yourself any graven image to take your eyes off of him. You're not going to take his name in vain. You're going to reverence him and worship him. And you're going to take the day he took off, you're going to take that off too. And you're going to spend it with him. That's how you show Yahweh you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, how do you love your neighbors yourself? I'm going to give you a hint. Another quick list. 6 tips to love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which Yahweh Elohim giveth thee. Thou shalt not don't kill your neighbor. Honor your father and your mother. Don't don't sleep with your neighbor's wife or husband or maid servant or whatever. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't try to get him arrested under false pretenses. And just don't covet, don't envy his stuff, don't take his stuff, don't covet his things that he has. If you can do that, you can love your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua never, would never, and never did trivialize or reduce or remove the commandments. He summarized them. Maybe in doing so, he did it in a way that's confusing to some. As many have taken these words to mean, those old commandments are no longer valid. But if you take the scriptures as a whole, that is, it's a whole unit that is endlessly connected. His words make much more sense. Whatever the reason for the misunderstanding, it is walking in the Messiah's footsteps, obedience, that causes us to be set apart. It's not the lawlessness we see in the world around us, it's not the acceptance of sin. As Jude warns against, there are men that crept in among you, unawares, whose condemnation is of old written, who have have turned the grace of our master, of our Elohim, into license for sin. That is rampant. It was a problem then, and it's a problem now. If we're to be a light on the hill, we have to set ourselves apart from the darkness that is so deep all around us. We must live different. We must act different. We must be different. The law was never the problem. Man is the problem. And if you really take a step back and look at their view on this, it's alarming. Because it's not just about doing away with the law. Yahweh was not short-sighted when he established these laws. Likely from the very beginning. We know that Adam and Eve sinned. And we know sin is the transgression of the law, so there was something there established from the beginning. He didn't make a mistake that needed correcting. Do people really believe that the law was established by the Father and it was such a blunder that he needed to sacrifice his only son to fix it? Or could it be that we have fallen so short and Yahweh still loved us so much that he and his son were willing to bring, to sacrifice, to bring us back to them. Yahweh was willing, and another key point of that is Yahshua was willing as well. He asked his father, look, if, this is, if it's possible for there is there any other way this could happen? Because I'm going to do what you asked me to do. He was willing, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't for him, and he knew that. When we throw Yahweh's law into question, when we throw his Torah into question, when we throw his statutes, his guidelines, the foundation of the faith, we throw that into question, we throw his ability to be Yahweh into the question. If we truly believe Yahweh knows the end from the beginning, we have to believe he didn't need to fix the law. That the law is eternal, as the psalm states, then it is us that need to be brought up to the law's level, not the other way around. David and the Psalms are extremely keen on the law and its beauty and benefit for everyone. I'm not going to read Psalm 119, but I encourage everyone to read Psalm 119. It's the single longest chapter in the entire scripture, and it is all about how good Yahweh's law is for us and how we are to walk in it and study it and meditate on it and praise him for it and thank him for it and love him for it. It goes over the goodness of Yahweh's law, the love and respect we should show it, the blessings it brings to Yahweh's people, and the sorrow in the author's heart for the world forgetting his law. It's called the perfect... It's called eternal, and it's called good. It doesn't sound like something that needs changing. And remember, and this, is gonna, this might be surprising to some. We hear it all the time. You keep that old law, so what do you do? You sacrifice animals? You, you kill goats and cows? We need to remember, sacrifice was required because of sin, not the law. Sacrifice was never a part of the law until sin showed up on its doorstep. So when people say, do you keep that old law, you sacrifice animals, and be like, no, I don't need to do that anymore. Because of that, because of Yeshua's sacrifice. Prior to sin, blood sacrifice, what would you need it for? There was not, I can't think of a reason you'd need it. We're just now we're justified because of the Messiah's sacrifice, and we can continue in obedience to be sanctified like the Messiah was. By this we know them. First John five two through three. Keep love Elohim and keep His commandments. For this is the love of Elohim that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. That's how you know. That's how you can tell someone is a child of Elohim because they walk in His commandments. Not because they dress a certain way, not because their tassels are hanging down, not because they have, you know, different, all the, all the trappings. They don't have, it, none of that matters. Do you walk in Yahweh's way? And I think that it's important that we understand these things because as times grow on and they, things are getting strange in this world we're living in. It's good to be able to explain yourself. Scripture talks about having a ready answer. I don't think we take that seriously enough. I don't. I'm not saying you need to go out there with a guns blazing. But if somebody, if Yahweh presents an opportunity for you to increase your talent count, to increase that population sign of the kingdom, and you're not ready for it, and you lose that, that's extremely important to be able to have a ready answer for somebody. Even if you're just planting a little seed, it could take years to grow. I remember my dad, he owned a he owned a, a commercial janitorial business. And he subcontracted for a big uh, janitorial company out of St. Louis. And he got a contract for a high school. And he worked with this guy. He was, I mean, just a, a Baptist to the bone. To the bone. This guy was diehard. And dad... He, they discussed things, they butted heads all the time. Dad worked with this guy for years, and they, they never agreed on anything. But Dad, you know, he kept, he'd, this guy would ask Dad a question, and he would answer it. And he'd go, oh, well, what about this, what about this, what about this? And walks away. And then seven years later, I don't think there's any mistake with the timing, seven years later, he gets a phone call from this guy telling him he was baptized into Yahshua's name. He never told them you need to go get baptized. He just encouraged them to look into his beliefs for himself and explained his position on why he keeps things like the Sabbath and the clean foods and things like that. That's what I'm trying to say. You don't need to know. It's good to know the Scriptures. But you don't need to know the Scriptures to live. You need to know what to do. And if you just live it, that is your witness. To know the basics of your faith. It's a seed that's planted. Some seeds take longer to grow than others. But it's important to live your life to spread those seeds everywhere you go, with every breath you take. We only got one shot at this. This is it. There's no reset button. There's no redo. We have to do as much as we can while we can. So I hope this message has cleared up some of the confusion, not just for those here. Maybe there are some here that were wondering, but for those online On justification and sanctification. And did the Messiah destroy the law? Absolutely not. He did the will of his Father. And the will of his Father is written in Torah. We keep the law out of love for our Messiah and love for our Father, who authored them for our benefit. For this is the love of Elohim that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. To walk in Yahweh's law and in his guidance, in his Torah is to walk in Yahweh and Yeshua's love. Follow the commandments as best we can. To do so is to invite Yahweh to stay with us. May Yahweh bless.